Well, good morning. When I have an opportunity to speak with Pastor Mike along the way, he is always bragging on you, talking about how patient and kind and forbearing that you are as a congregation. And I had a chance to put it to test this morning as Pastor Dan was uh, informing you that Brother Mike was not here and that I was preaching. I was seated right over there at the back for a reason. I wanted to see how many were going to get up and walk out when you heard that bit of news this morning. And so I do appreciate your patience this morning. And uh, sorry that Pastor Mike is not here. Kathy and I had planned to be here, but I'd planned to be seated right over there listening this morning, just as you are. And uh, got a call yesterday and was more than happy to fill in this morning. If you have been a Baptist for any length of time, and that's really neither here nor there, but I grew up in a Baptist church and been a Baptist pastor for many years. Typically, we wait until the end of the service to do our confession. We wait until then to come to the altar and kind of clean our heart out and try to get right with God or get right with someone else and so forth. I want to reverse that. I want to start this morning with a word of confession, if I may. This coming June will be 43 years that I gave my life away to the Lord Jesus Christ. I was 18 years old. You can do the math on that in case you were wondering, and I'm going to give you just a moment because I know you look at me and think that guy's got to be 75, so I'm just going to give you a moment to do the math. I just turned 60 this past April, but for all of my adult life, I have been a devoted follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. I've been a preacher of the gospel almost those entire 40, almost 43 years that I have been a believer. But in all honesty, there has been an area of my Christian journey that's always been a problem for me. May not be for you, but it's always been there in my journey. Now, there are times that I'm able to wrestle it to the ground and make it cry uncle and put it into submission for a little while, but it doesn't take long until that constant, persistent enemy of my life seems to rear its ugly head again, and there it is. I have a problem with waiting. Do any of you? You know, and it kind of pops up at some of the most not-so-subtle times in my life. Uh, You would think at my age that I would have overcome this by now. Uh, Thursday afternoon, I was on the island, and as I was leaving the island, I needed to stop by the supermarket to pick a few things up. And as I gathered a few things in my arms, I was standing there, and I know none of you do this, But as I approached the cashiers, I began to scan all of the lines to see which one was moving most rapidly. And wouldn't you know, the very line that I thought was the fastest one ended up being the slowest. And as I'm sitting there and I'm watching other people who were in a longer line that I got into, who were being checked out before I was, that began to bother me just a little bit. Any of you know what I'm talking about? I did a funeral yesterday afternoon, and if you remember yesterday, it got colder as the day went on. So about 2.30 or so, we're standing out at graveside at Boscabella, and the temperature is dropping, and I wasn't prepared for that in the afternoon. And so when I got in my car, I was cold, and I got home, and Kathy said, would you like some hot cocoa? And I said, it'd be wonderful, exactly what I'd like. My hand before God, 
I'm standing in front of the microwave thinking, this sure is taking a long time, isn't it? Any of you ever, ever have a problem with waiting? Or am I kind of the only one this morning? Am I the only one? How many of you will admit to that? Let me see your hand this morning. And, uh, you know, your problem may not be waiting. It may be lying. And maybe you just confessed your problem to the rest of us this morning. But don't, don't we all grow a little bit impatient along the way and so forth? Do you ever get impatient with yourself? Do you ever grow impatient with others? I mean, if you've got two or three-year-olds around the house, then you know what it is to be out to the edge of your patience with someone else, don't you? Or if you're married, you know what it is to be out to the edge of your patience with someone else. And you know, what kind of is a problem in everyday life for me, the danger to all of that is it kind of creeps over into my Christian life. And I look back over my shoulder and some of the deepest regrets that I have in my life are those times that I grew impatient in my relationship with God. You ever been there? As you look back, do you realize there are some moments and steps along the way in which you just were not as patient with God as you should have been? And it may be a career decision that you made that you kind of eased on out there. Or maybe you look back over your shoulder and there was an early marriage in your life that that everybody around you told you not to do it. In fact, you even had a great hesitancy in your heart about it, and you still went ahead and did it. I, I, I would venture to say that probably those areas of regret are areas in which you did not wait upon the Lord. Well, if you have problems waiting, may I encourage you this morning that you're not the only one, and you certainly are not the first. I'm opening my Bible this morning to Isaiah chapter 40. If you want to join me there, there are some verses toward the end of that chapter that I want to take just a few moments with you in our time together this morning and talk to you a little bit about um, this matter of waiting and waiting upon the Lord and how important it is and why we need to do it and how we can wait patiently for God to do His work in, my, in our life or in the life of someone for whom we are praying. Now, I don't know how much you know about Isaiah chapter 40. But when we step into this chapter, we catch the nation of Israel at a very difficult place in their journey and their relationship with God. Do you know much about Israel? You know that they were the chosen people of God, but boy, they had a less than stellar reputation in history. You know that Israel was obedient to God. They, they would do all they could to adhere to the expectations of God. But then what would be the next step in Israel's history? They would become infatuated with the gods of those about them or the pagans about them. And they would be, begin to drift away from their devotion and their commitment to God. And God in his faithfulness would send a prophet, a spokesman, who would come and stand before them, as it were, wave his arms and say, the bridge is out, the bridge is out, you need to stop. But more times than not, the nation of Israel would refuse to hear the man of God. Israel would go on in their destructive way. And do you remember what God would do next? God then would come in judgment. And often the judgment was God would take them away from their home and their homeland. And God would take them as captives into a foreign land. 
That's exactly where we find the nation of Israel. When we come to Isaiah chapter 40, they have been carried away. And listen, they've been away for a long, long time. I mean, they have been away for more than a generation. They've been away for almost 70 years when we come to Isaiah chapter 40. And they've been away from, as I said, their homeland. They've been away from their home. They've been away from their temple. Now, that's important. They've been away from Jerusalem. Because in the Old Testament scriptures, God met with man there in the temple, in the Holy of Holies. And that's where God descended and God met with man there. So, in essence, Israel has been away from her God for 70 or so years. And Israel has come to a point to where they've been crying out, Oh, God, hear us. God, Come to our rescue. God, would you please come and carry us back to our home and our homeland and our temple so that we can worship you again. And it was a very difficult place for the nation of Israel. And to be honest with you, in, in spite of all of their praying, their crying out to God, it, it was as though the heavens were brass and there was absolutely no response from God. So do you know where we find Israel when we come to Isaiah chapter 40? They're on the cusp of giving up. They've just about gotten to a place in their life to where they've said, what's the use? There's no need for us to cry out to God any longer. God is no longer responding to us. Now imagine this. We're not talking a week. We're not talking a month. We're not talking a year. We're talking an entire generation plus, almost two generations, have been away from their home and homeland, living in a foreign country as slaves. God had created his people to be free, not to be in bondage. And here they were in a foreign land. They were in bondage, Babylonian captivity. And they'd been crying out, God, hear us. God, come to our rescue. Come to our aid. And there had been absolutely nothing. No voice, no sound, not even a whisper from God. And Israel had come to that place in life to where they were just kind of dusting their hands and saying, what's the use? There's no need in us expecting God to do anything. What in the world does that 2,800 years ago, 700 years before the birth of Christ, what in the world does that have to do with us this morning sitting here in Yulee, Florida? Well, for some of us, it may have everything to do with our journey. Because you see, I'm probably preaching to someone this morning and you today, no one else knows, but you today probably are right where the nation of Israel was then. You've been asking God for something. You've been praying. There's nothing. I mean, nothing. If you could pull me aside, you would acknowledge, God, I've been praying for a long time. I mean, Pastor, you just don't know how long and how intense I've been praying for this thing. And there's been nothing. I haven't heard a word from God. I haven't seen a sign that God is anywhere near responding to the request that I've been lifting up to him. And God, I'm just about ready to quit. Is that where you are today? I've been there. I've been there more times than I want to admit, to be honest with you. And it may be that you're a wife you're sitting here this morning and your husband is somewhere else. Or it may be that you're a husband and you're sitting here this morning and your wife is some other place today. And you've nagged, you've left 
verses on the pillow at night. You've put gospel music in the tape player of his truck. You've done everything that you know to do. You've prayed and prayed and cried out to God. And you've done everything you know to do. And there's nothing. And you may be on the cusp of giving up on a marriage. Do any of you have any prodigal sons or daughters? If you're sitting here with young children this morning, I know the thought walking through your mind it won't happen to us. I mean, we're raising our children in the Lord. We have our devotions and we go to a good church and we listen to good music and good Bible preaching and we've got them involved in an active church. And I, I Pastor, it's not going to happen to us. Listen, don't fool yourself this morning. Your children will grow up and make their own decisions. There's not a guarantee on this earth that every parent of every young child in this room one day will not be the parent of a prodigal child. And you don't know what to do. You've cried out to God. Where are you, God? Why don't you answer our prayer? God, we did everything that we knew to do when we were raising our children. And yet there's nothing, God. There's nothing. Is that where you are today? Anybody here giving up on himself or herself? I mean, you've tried. You, you've done everything you know to do. And you've tried in every way that you know to try. And yet there is just absolutely no help for you today. It may be that you're battling a very private addiction. It may be a food addiction. Or it may be an addiction to something on the internet. Or it may be some other addiction that you've battled for years and years and years. And you've made your way and worn out of place at this altar. And you've cried out to God. God, why don't you change me? It's beyond my Ability to change myself. Why don't you come and change me? And yet there's been no change. There's been no word. There's been no sign of God showing up. And it may be this morning. That you're on the edge of giving up. Well, if you are. Could I ask you to do a couple of things? <laughs> could I ask you just to step aside from the rat race for just a moment? <sighs> Take in a deep breath of God's sovereignty. Just... Breathe again what you know about God. Could I ask you just to reconsider giving up just one more time? Could I ask you, let's just step back in the race one more time. Just today. Let's just step back in the race again today. Let's don't give up so quickly. The second thing I'd ask you to do is let's remember some things. Remember? Yeah, because you know what I've discovered? I've discovered when you grow weary and despondent... It's very easy to forget some things that we know about God. That's where Israel was. And that's why Isaiah the prophet comes up on the scene. And Isaiah the prophet stands before them and he says, You can't give up. You can't. You know too much about God. That's what Isaiah 40 is about. That's why I wanted to take you here this morning. In fact, look with me at these verses at the end of Isaiah chapter 40. And uh, what I want to do is I really want to begin with you at the end of this chapter. And then we're going to go back a little bit and work through a couple of verses that lead up to the last verse. But I want you to look with me at the last verse. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. How many of you have that on a picture or a placard somewhere in your house, those words? You probably do, don't they? You never thought that they'd have to relate to you one of these days, did you? 
Do you know what I read when I read verse 31? I read that this is what God will do for those who wait. But also embedded in this verse is a real possibility that there are those of us who may not wait upon the Lord. But those who wait upon the Lord, this is what God will do. But the real possibility is some of us may not wait upon the Lord. And when we do not wait upon the Lord, can I tell you what I have personally experienced in my Christian journey? There are two extremes that we can go when we do not wait upon the Lord. The first of these is we can run out ahead of God. You ever done that? Well, if you have, you're not the only one. I mean, it doesn't help any today, but you're not the only one. Do you remember the Old Testament, our friend Abraham? You remember God came to Abraham and Sarah and said, I'm going to bless you with a child? Just wait. It's not coming now. By the way, you remember what Sarah did when God told them that? Are you kidding me? She laughed. They ended up naming their boy Isaac, which means in the Hebrew, laughter. God always reminded them, you laughed in my face when I made a promise to you. Do you remember what Abraham decided to do? In fact, he and Sarah decided, won't you take my handmaid? You go ahead and have a baby. This is God's way. We'll kind of take a shortcut on this thing. And do you remember what happened? Abraham and the handmaiden had a little baby boy named Ishmael. And from Ishmael came the Arabs. Do you know what's happening on the Western Bank today? The Jews and the Arabs have never been able to get along. Conflict for 4,000 years on this earth because a man chose to not wait upon God. That's why I said a moment ago, probably some of the deepest heartache in your life has been when you chose to not wait upon God. I'm going to hurry up and I'm going to run on out ahead of God. Have you ever thought this? I'm going to give God till Friday afternoon and if God doesn't come through, then I'll take care of it. Now, we'd not be so foolish to frame it exactly like that. But somewhere in the back of our mind, that thought is there. God, I'm, I'm going to give you until the end of this year. If you don't change my husband, then, then that's the end of our marriage. God, I'm going to give you until, and if you don't change my son or daughter, then I'm giving up on my son or daughter. Be careful in the waiting room that you don't become hurried and run out ahead of God. You can get in a lot of trouble. But also be careful in the waiting room that you don't become hopeless. And you just give up. That's the other extreme. You, you don't want to be hurried. You don't want to run ahead of God. But you don't want to grow hopeless either. To the point that you give up on yourself. You give up on someone else. Or even more seriously. You give up on God. And as I said a moment ago. That's exactly where Israel was. When we come to Isaiah chapter 40. And so here's what Isaiah does. Isaiah comes uh, into the picture. And Isaiah says I know where you are. You're in Babylonian captivity. You've been crying out to God. The heavens have become brass. There's no sound. There's no response from God whatsoever. And I know that you're ready to give up. But before you give up. There's some things that I want you to read. Remember, that's what he gets at in these verses. Look with me at verse 27. He begins by saying, why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel? Just a dual designation for the people of God. Now, why are you saying, and what he's doing is he begins to parrot what they have been saying. What have they been saying? Verse 27, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my just claim is passed over by my God. All right, let's do some Northeast Florida translation of that, those couple of phrases. You ready? Here's what they're saying. God doesn't know where we are, and even if he did, God really doesn't care about us any longer. 
So Isaiah says, wait a minute. Verse 28. Have you not known? Have you not heard? Now let's stop right there for a moment. Don't you remember? You're God's people. Have you forgotten some things about God? Eugene Peterson, in his paraphrase, the message is taken those two statements in verse 28, and he's kind of expanded those statements into four statements. Listen to his paraphrase of those opening words in verse 28. Have you not been paying attention? Have you not been listening? You've known this all of your life. Have you forgotten? I mean, sounds like a mother scolding a little child. Are you listening to me? You remember when your parents used to say that? What was in your mind? Of course, you're four inches from my face. How could I not hear what you're saying to me? And it says, oh, Isaiah is saying, aren't you listening? Listen to yourself. You are the people of God. Don't you know? Don't you remember? Have you forgotten these things about God? And then what Isaiah does, beginning in verse 28 and down through the next couple of verses, is he sets before the nation of Israel five reminders that they had forgotten about God. And they are five reminders that you and I have a tendency to forget when we are in the waiting room, the holding pattern. God is not responding and we are just having to wait. Are you ready? I'm going to give these to you in a very simple way today. And it may be that if you write things down, you may want to write all five of these. If not, then at least let your mind take hold of one of these or two of these that you can carry home with you today that might serve you as you are in the waiting room. All right, first of all, remember God's perspective. Just remember God's perspective. Look with me at verse 28 again. Isaiah says, have you not known? Have you not heard? Now look at this next statement. The everlasting God, the Lord. Now let's just stop right there. Lift that one little phrase out because I want to help you unpack it just for a moment. The everlasting God, the Lord. Have you noticed how the Bible becomes almost monotonous at some points? Very redundant. It kind of repeats itself again and again and again. And the Bible really goes to great extremes to communicate us out to us the eternality of God. The Bible says here, he is the everlasting God. Elsewhere, the Bible calls him the eternal God. Listen to some other phrases. He is the beginning and the end. He is the Alpha and the Omega. The ancient of days. He is from everlasting to everlasting. He is the eternal God. He is the everlasting God. Do do you kind of get the idea? That God always has been. And God always will be. I remember when I was a young boy. Wrestling with a concept of God. And one of the biggest hurdles that I had to jump, one of the greatest barriers that I faced in trying to wrestle with the concept of God is, how can something always be? (laughs) I mean, I have a birthday and there's going to be an ending to my life on this earth. But everything has a beginning, doesn't it? I mean, that's just us, right? But not God. Now, if you come up after church today and ask me to try to explain this to you, listen, I'm telling you everything I know about it right now, all right? I don't, I don't have any other insight onto this other than the fact that God always has been, 
God is and God always will be. Now, I accept that for a couple of reasons. I accept it, number one, because that's what the Bible teaches. And I am a man of the book. And I believe with all of my heart that God always has been, God is, and God always will be. But I accept it for another reason. I'm a man of faith. And if the Word says it, then I'm going to embrace it. And I'm going to proclaim it as loudly as I can. But that doesn't mean that I understand one bit of that. Because you know what I do? I kind of process things through my experience. And do you know what my experience is? I live in a world that's very much dominated and bound by time. I have a yesterday. There is today. And we think there's going to be a tomorrow, right? I mean, little meteors hitting the earth and everything. We're not all that certain about it right now, are we? But nevertheless, there's yesterday, there's today, and there is a tomorrow. But are you aware today that with God there is no such thing as time? In my work at the hospital, we, I deal with a lot of dying and death situations. And as I stand with a family, and especially if the loved one is a believer, I'll hear them say, well, granddaddy is standing at the gates and he's been waiting a long time for grandmother to join him. And I just want to say, I don't, but I just want to say, your granddaddy's not been waiting a long time. Because in heaven there is no yesterday, today, and tomorrow. It's the ever-present now. It is the eternal present in the presence of God. So what does the Bible say? You finish this verse. A day with the Lord is as. Well, some of you weren't real sure about your answer. But a day with the Lord is as a thousand years. You know what God's trying to say to us? Trying to communicate to us who can never conceive and understand this impossibility. That, that in heaven there is no time with God. Are you aware that in heaven right now, it is not February the 17th, 2013? Now it is here, but it's not over there. So I share all of that, not to confuse you, but I share all of that to stand with you this morning because my way of thinking is I want to come before God and say, God, now wait a minute, I've been waiting for 11 years for this. Or I've been waiting for 11 days for this. Or I've been waiting 11 minutes for this. And it's as though God says, 11 years? What is that to me? You've been waiting a decade? What is that to me? You've been waiting a minute? That means nothing to me. We're the ones bound by time, not God. And so if we're going to go on with God and if we're going to walk with him in our Christian experience and if, we're, if he's truly going to be our heavenly father through the good times and the bad times, then one of the things that we've got to grasp by faith is this simple truth that, listen, God is not bound by your calendar. You get it? Isaiah is saying in essence... Israel, you've been crying out for 70 years. Big deal. 70 years mean nothing to an eternal God. God is not obligated to work according to your expectations, 
your calendar and the time constraints that you put upon him. You know what the Bible says? The Bible says that God does what he does. Listen to Ephesians chapter 1. For his good pleasure. And God's working in your life. Not according to your timetable, but according to his. First thing you need to remember is God's perspective of this thing. His perspective is not yours. Can I give you a second word? Uh, look with me again at verse 28. Not only do you and I need to remember God's perspective, but number two, we need to remember God's power. Look, look at verse 28. Let's follow it on down. Have you not known? Have you not heard the everlasting God, the Lord? Now, here's a statement. The creator of the ends of the earth. It's a good word. He is the creator of the ends of the earth. Now, we don't... Think about the ends of the earth. Here's a picture. God is a creator of, of this extreme end of the earth. He is a creator of this extreme end of the earth. And what's the implication? And he is a cre creator of everything in between. All. God is a creator of the ends of the earth. God, and how did God do that? Let's just stop from. How did God do that? You remember the Bible says that God spoke. And through God speaking, all that we see, all that was not there, suddenly was there. That God spoke and through his creative word, everything that we see and know today has been created by the spoken word of God. I'd say that's pretty powerful, wouldn't you? Have any of you been able to do that lately? I don't think so. You see, that's kind of what Isaiah's been building up to a little bit. Look, look back in this same chapter to verse 10, if you will, for a moment. Isaiah is speaking and he says, Behold, the Lord God shall come with a strong hand and his arm shall rule for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his work before him. He will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs with his arm and carry them in his bosom and gently lead those who are young. Now, you may stop and think, now, wait a minute, wait a minute. How, how can God do this? Well, let, let's follow the answer. Look at verse 12. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand, measured heaven with a span, and calculated the dust of the earth in a measure? Now, any of you done that? Can you hold the oceans in your hand? You can't even hold water in your hand. It slips away. Look at verse 15. He goes on to reinforce just how powerful this God is. Behold, the nations are as a drop in a bucket and are counted as a small dust on the scales. Look, he lifts up the isles as a very little thing. That little island out there was created by God. It's nothing for God to do that. It's an afterthought for God to do that. Look at verse 22. The thought goes on. It is he who sets above the circle of the earth and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers who stretch out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them out like a tent to dwell in. All right, here's the point. Here's the application. Is God powerful, yes or no? You, you agree with that? How powerful? Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. If God has the ability to create this end of the earth and this end of the earth and everything in between... Don't you think God has the power to change what you are concerned about today? Now, I know I hear the objection. You'd never, verbal, you'd never verbalize this, especially not among others. But I know exactly what you're thinking. You are thinking, but pastor, if you knew my husband, you wouldn't be preaching this sermon this morning. 
Because, buddy, he is out there, man. He is beyond hope. Or, pastor, if you knew my prodigal son or my prodigal daughter, my goodness, they're in drugs and they've been in and out of jail and in, in and out of live-in situations. I mean, everything imaginable, they are in that situation and so forth. And, pastor, you just don't know how desperate my situation is. You know what? I agree with you. I don't know how desperate your situation is. But it does not change at all the fact that the God who created everything that you and I see has the power and the ability to step in the midst of your world and change everything that is wrong. Don't forget God's power. Number three. Remember God's persistence. Now look again at verse 28. Let's keep moving down through this verse. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary. In contrast to me, because I do grow weary. I get tired at times. I get tired of calling out to God when there is no response. In fact, verse 31 gives the implication that we certainly do grow weak and we do grow weary. And again, I hear someone say, Pastor, you just don't know what's going on in my life you just you don't know you don't know how unfixable this thing is again I do not know but I do know this that God begins a work and Philippians chapter 1 verse 6 says he who has begun a good work in you will complete it will bring it about God never grows weary in his work never Ladies and gentlemen, may I remind you as I just kind of reflect upon the totality of Scripture that the greatest work God has done on this earth has been in the face of absolute impossibility. Take a man who's never sinned, despise and reject him and put him up on a cross. Strip him, strip him naked in public humiliation. Take him down and put him in a borrowed tomb. It's a pretty dark day, isn't it? But on Sunday morning, God did the impossible. I'm here to tell you today, if you're facing an impossible situation, remember how persistent God is. Look with me at verse 28. There's a fourth. Remember God's process as well. How God goes about doing his work. Look at verse 28. That last statement. His understanding is what? Say it with me. Unsearchable. You know what that means? It's beyond our ability to understand it. We don't know what God's doing sometimes. And we don't know how God goes about. We try to understand God as though we really could to begin with. There's a little verse in Romans chapter 11 and verse 33. To where the apostle says. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. When I was in seminary 100 years ago. I remember my Greek professor sitting on the edge of his desk. And doing this with his fingers. He said it's as though we can track God up to a certain point. But then God just takes a leap off the precipice and God leaves us and we stand there with our mouths gaping open and we cannot understand the ways of God. Do you understand the ways of God? Are you okay with that? You okay with that? I, I could go either way in this illustration, but since I am a man and I am a husband, let me kind of get at it from my perspective. 
Help me out this morning. How many of you guys here today are married? Let me see your hand, all right? Can I ask you a question? Do you really understand that woman you're married to? Now, I see some heads shaking yes, and it's only because she's trained you to shake, shake yes at certain times along the way. But you and I both know, every man in this room knows, you think you've got her figured out, and doggone it, something will come up, and it'll just absolutely put you back to square one, won't it? You think you don't even know this woman. Kathy and I are married 34 years. I don't know that I know her any better today than I did 34 years ago. Now, as I said, it could have gone the other way. I hear every wife in here saying, well, we don't know you guys either. I understand. But the point of my illustration, I think, could be absorbed by every one of us in this room. And it's this. If you don't understand that person with whom you sleep at night and eat breakfast with in the morning and vacation with and converse with over dinner and watch Wheel of Fortune with every night, if you don't understand that person, how do you ever expect to understand God? Am I right? Are you okay with that? Because if you're one of these that demands, God's got to tell me what he's doing or I'm not going to go on, then then you may as well just get up and check out of this thing right now. Because God's not going to tell you what he's doing. Even if God did, you wouldn't understand it. So you know what we do? We, We don't live by explanation. We don't live by understanding. The Bible says we walk with God by faith. And in walking with God by faith, listen, when we pass through those deep and dark and difficult experiences in life and we don't understand them, here's what we do. We take a step back and we hold fast to this truth that God is at work even if I cannot see him. God is at work. So you know that husband of yours that's out there? That prodigal son or daughter that you may have? That addiction that you have and you can't seem to get over? May I encourage you today that God is at work in each of those situations, even if you cannot uh, understand it. Last word. Remember God's promise to you. Remember God's promise to you. And what is God's promise? God's promise is that he will meet you. He'll breathe encouragement into you. God's promise is that he will strengthen you if you wait upon him. And there's a wonderful little promise. You want to quickly go to Isaiah 64. Run over there very, very quickly with me to Isaiah chapter 64. I want to read one verse and then we're going to pray and uh, we'll be on our way. But I just, uh, this morning, this tremendous promise in Isaiah 64 and verse 4 For since the beginning of the world, men have not heard nor perceived by the ear, nor has the eye seen any God besides you who acts for the one who waits for him. Folks, on the authority of this book and the promise of God's word, I can promise you today that if you'll just take a step back today, if you'll reconsider giving up, you'll take a deep breath again of God's sovereignty. If you'll just hang in there one more day, God is at work. And I'd rather have God working for me than the wisest counsel, than all the senators of our country, certainly than all the senators of our country. I'd rather have God working for me than the most manipulative person I know. Because when God does his work, 
God always does a great work. So are you waiting today? What are you waiting on? Waiting for God to change you? Waiting for God to change someone around you? Waiting for your healing? What are you waiting on today? Would you just join me today and let's just take a step back. And let's wait one more day for God to do his work. Amen. Amen. Father, thank you this morning. It's always good to be able to share your word. And I thank you for the hope that we have in Christ our Lord. Pray this morning that we would.